God often uses visions to direct his people. In fact, God gave the Apostle Paul a vision to head out on his second missionary journey and go to Macedonia. And so this is a map of Paul's second missionary journey. Israel's over here, and he went all the way over here to Macedonia. So so think like modern-day Southeast Europe, uh, Bulgaria, Greece, this area. And on his second missionary journey, he He took his boy Silas, he headed out, he picked up Timothy, and he got to Macedonia. And and while in Macedonia, he he entered into Philippi on the Sabbath. And normally what Paul would do is he would look for Jewish people gathered in a synagogue for worship. That was sort of his tactic. But, But instead, he happened upon a place of prayer where these women were gathered studying the the word of God. And in Acts 16, you meet a lady by the name of Lydia. Lydia is a fascinating woman. She's from Thyatira, which means Asia. And she happened to be in Philippi. And the Bible tells us she was a merchant. She was a seller of purple goods. So she's wealthy. And maybe she's in Philippi on business. Philippi was a really popular trade route. And the Bible says she's a God-fearer. So she has interest in the God of the Bible, the Jewish God. She's observing the Sabbath. She's seeking truth. And she's gathered with other women studying the Bible. And Paul just walks in and is like, hey, hey, can I interrupt for a moment? And for some reason, the ladies, they don't know who Paul is, but they allow him to speak. And so Paul, in a powerful way, begins to help them understand what their heart is really longing for, and it's, it's Jesus. And he tells them the good news of Jesus. He shares the gospel. And the Bible says that Lydia, this wealthy Asian lady, immediately believes, and her entire household believes and is baptized. And then she invites Paul back to her house, and she's the first recorded believer in Philippi, and most believe that the church at Philippi, the the letter of the Philippians, is planted right there in her home. And I I bet it was a really nice house. Probably got a hot tub, a view of the mountains, three camel garage, the whole nine. It was probably really nice. This lady had everything the world could offer, but but she's seeking answers because her wealth didn't really satisfy her. Lydia's an incredible picture, the first person to believe there. And then, and then you, you meet another girl in Acts 16, the, the slave girl. We, we don't know her name. And the Bible says she had a spirit of divination, which means she was possessed by a demon. So she's not like Lydia. She's not in control of something. She doesn't have wealth. In fact, she's being controlled. She's overpowered. Lydia was looking for answer. The slave girl can't even speak for herself And Lydia listens to Paul. The slave girl, Acts 16 says, just screams at him. Paul and his boys are doing ministry, walking through town, and she won't let him alone. She's following him around, screaming at him. And the Bible says Paul gets annoyed, which I just love the honesty of the Bible, by the way. And Paul doesn't turn around and say to the slave girl, hey, I got a couple things I want you to consider. He doesn't appeal to reason. He doesn't explain the law. He just commands with an act of power the demonic oppression to leave her. And in a moment, in a moment, she's set free by the power of Jesus. And her owners, they're pretty mad because apparently they peddled this girl out for a source of revenue. 
And, and, and Paul had just taken that from them. So they had Paul and Timothy and Silas thrown in jail. And they didn't know he's a Roman citizen. So they have him tortured, put in stocks. And they don't pout. They don't cry. The Bible says they start singing and praising God in prison. And God miraculously sends an earthquake. And all the prison doors are opened and all of their chains fall off. And that's when you meet the Roman jailer. Now, the jailer is completely different from Lydia and the slave girl. He's not wealthy. He's not possessed by a demon. He's just a really hardworking guy. In fact, you really had to have a fierce personality to do what he did. Because if a prisoner escaped, even if it was because of an earthquake, you would lose your life. And Paul's got a chance to bail. Earthquake, my chains are off. How many of y'all are bailing and running? Show of hands. What's the matter with the rest of y'all? But Paul, Paul's a Roman. So he knows if he leaves, it would mean death to the jailer. So he stays. And he demonstrates a commitment to the Roman jailer far beyond any sort of commitment the jailer had ever seen. And the jailer can't get over Paul's life in this act. And he, he asks this brilliant question at the end of Acts 16. He says, well, what must I do to be saved? And Paul shares the gospel with him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the Roman jailer goes home and his house gets saved. And this is how the church at Philippi get, gets planted. Look at the story of people's lives being changed by the gospel. Lydia, this wealthy Asian lady, perhaps on business, this slave girl possessed by a demon, then, then a, a Roman jailer. And, and, and look at what the gospel does here. What One theologian says it this way. He says, quote, It not only rescues unholy people and connects them to God, but it takes people who would never do life together and makes them family. End quote. You, you got to get 2023 out of your head because this is insane. Everything in their culture would have kept their lives apart. Nothing could have brought them together. In fact, the social constructs in the first century would have been so significant, it would have eliminated even the possibility of a shared life between these three people, apart from something supernatural happening. But something supernatural did happen. Enter the gospel. That's what we've been studying this entire month. In this series, we're calling What is the Gospel? And on week one of this series, I gave you a definition of the gospel. And if you could not explain what the gospel is or understand why we call it good news, and we want you to know this and understand it and believe it, bet your life on it, share it with your family, share it with your neighbors. This is what we believe the gospel is. It is the good news about our Savior and Lord. That's both what he did and who he is. He is our Redeemer, our Savior, and God, Jesus Christ, who was crucified to save us from our sins, buried for three days, but resurrected to make us his sons and daughters and secure our eternity in heaven. That's what we believe about the most significant person in history, Jesus Christ. And the gospel just blew through all the barriers in Acts 16, and it created this new community that would have never happened apart from Jesus. And Jesus changed everything about their life, their purpose, their plan, and it gave them a permanent bond both to God and to one another. 
And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ hasn't stopped. It's still doing that same thing today. And as a church, we are still praying for more stories of life change, more stories yet to be written. Your story needs to be told. Some of you, your story still needs to be written. But maybe you think I'm crazy, but I believe the Bible. And I believe God did what he said he did, and he will continue to do what he said he would do. And so we've been studying perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible that tells us the gospel, and it's John 3, 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And we're in week three of looking at this same verse. And if you missed week one, what we studied was this part of it. For God loved the world in this way. And we talked about how the love of God is so distinct and so unique because it's an eternal love, which means God was choosing to love us before we ever thought about rebelling against him. And God's love being eternal means His love isn't based on my past or my present or my future because he loved me before I ever had one. And this this word world means cosmos, which in the Bible is typically used in a negative way, like sinners, rebellious, despicable people. And so God loved not a lovely place, but an unlovely place. And it's his love that makes us lovely. So that was week one. Week two, we talked about how he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And we looked at that word gave and how he gave Jesus for our redemption, our salvation. So we looked at the propitiating, expiating work of Jesus, how we are not only saved from the wrath of God, but we're cleansed deep into our soul from all of our sins. And we looked at how unique and special Jesus is. And so today, what we're focusing on in this verse is so that, what's the word right here? Everyone who believes might be saved. Everyone. Everyone from everywhere has the opportunity to know God, to find freedom, discover their calling in him, and go make a difference in the world. And as a church, we are going to continue to plead and believe that God continues to do what he's always done. And no matter how hard a person's heart is, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status, however broken their story is, however far you think they've gone, however content they are to just show up and play the church game, God is able. And we are never going to stop asking him as a church for everyone to believe in the gospel. And we are confident that he can. We are confident that he's able. We're confident that he's willing because that's what our God does is that he saves lost sinners. And so we want to be a church, although we're four and a half years old, for the next 40 and a half years that celebrates the gospel that lives constrained to spend our lives together and lose them if necessary, to tell everyone we know the good news of the gospel. And so God, today, as we celebrate the gospel, that you love the world in this way, you gave your one and only son so that everyone who believes will be saved. Would 
we realize that we have not only been saved from our sin, we have been saved for a mission. So encourage us, inspire us, equip us to be your people, disciples who multiply disciples. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. All right, now I know that was a long introduction, but the rest of the sermon is going to be even longer, so just hang tight for a minute. God loved the world in this way. He sent his son so that everyone who believes will be saved. Everyone. And I tell you the story of the planting of the church at Philippi, which Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians to that same church because it's such a beautiful picture of a vast array of people coming together. And God has a pattern of doing that. You think about the disciples. You think about those 12. You had rural, uneducated fishermen together with wealthy tax collectors and religious political zealots all coming together in one group to follow Jesus. And these disciples, they spent years walking with Jesus, learning from Jesus, living with Jesus. And before they were sent out on mission for Jesus, when they were learning from him, do you, do you remember the, the one question they asked? They said, Jesus, teach us too. Do you remember? Well, they didn't say, Jesus, would you teach us to walk on water? What? Why? Because it's awesome, right? They didn't ask him that. They didn't ask, Jesus, teach us to turn water into wine. They didn't ask him that. No, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Stay with me. I'm, I'm going somewhere here. And Jesus taught them to pray. He said, hey, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, if you notice, it's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It was a model that Jesus gave to them on, on how to pray. So he said, hey, if you pray this way, Pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you know it, say the rest. Your kingdom, your will be on. Great job. But, but sometimes when we pray, we pray something other than what we learn. Sometimes we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. My kingdom come. My will be done on earth as it is in my mind. And I'm convinced part of the reason why we pray that way is because we have for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years just been immersed in the selfie generation and culture. Did you know when my wife and I are, were first married, we've been married almost 25 years now, and we'd go somewhere with our kids, or we were at Disney World or somewhere. You'd have to give your camera to someone else and then pray and hope they wouldn't run off with it. You know what I'm talking about? Show of hands, how many of y'all remember that fear inside of you, like, you run off with my camera? I don't have to do that anymore. I, I, I take my own picture anytime I want. In fact, I'm going to take a selfie right now. Y'all just do whatever you're going to do. I'm going to take a picture. All right, now, hold on, Andrew. All right, hey, I'm going to send you this. Can you, can you give me a thumbs up when you get it? All right, Andrew, it's on its way through the cloud. We got a thumbs up. Andrew, can you put that on the TV? Can you do that? Let's see if they can do that. Hey, y'all give it up for our tech team. Now, see, this is amazing because I'm in a room packed full of people. But, but you're nowhere in that picture. In a room full of people, I am the center of my own universe. See, I can't see you when I'm taking a selfie. And the problem is that's, 
It's kind of where we live in our life often, isn't it? See, I live right here. And I look at the world through my own eyes. I look at my marriage through my own eyes, my job through my own eyes. I look at the world and the mission of God through my own eyes. And so we pray like this. Lord, help me. Do this for me. Do this. Fix that. Me, 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 you. Amen. But what would happen, church, if a group of people somewhere said, it's not about me. I am not the center of this story. And yes, God loved me in this way and gave his son for me, but he gave him to the world. And so I have been saved from my sin, but I have been saved for a mission. I am saved to be sent. Grace for a goal, mercy for a mission. So, Lord, I want to see my neighborhood and my family and my job and my life through your eyes. I am not the center of the picture of the story. So let me ask you a question. If God answered my prayers or your prayers, would it change the world or just mine? Would it change the world or just yours? But, but, but what if we begin to pray like we're not the center of the story? And mercy really was for a mission. And we begin to pray in such a way that Middle Tennessee got changed and your family got changed and the nation got changed. What if we begin to pray with an earnest belief that you and I exist as darkness disruptors and kingdom advancers, good news bearers, missionaries with every step that we take because everyone who believes will be saved. And if you want God to stir up inside of you like a white hot passion for the glory of God and the mission of God for your life, then you have to surround yourself with people who have a burning desire for the glory of God and the mission of God. But nothing will make you more lukewarm in this life than surrounding yourself with lukewarm people. But if you want a burning desire for the glory of God, then what better place than the community of Christ called the body of Christ, the church? Because that's God's plan, the church, to ignite and sustain a zeal inside of you for his mission and for his purpose. And imagine like we've been saying in the next year that every person in Nolansville that breathes air, man, woman, and child, given the opportunity to hear the gospel because of us. What if that wasn't no longer just words that we said, but lives that we lived? In Smyrna and Murfreesboro and College Grove having the opportunity to hear the gospel and we see churches planted there. This is going to be the week where you tell someone what God has done in your life for you. Because every believer should be investing deeply into relationships with those who are far from God and praying earnestly for the lost and searching. This is the week where you tell one person 
And for many of you, start right in your own home. Some of you, this is a great week for you, the first time to tell your children your salvation story, how God invited you to respond in faith to him. Start right there. Others, if you sit down at lunch with an unchurched friend or coworker and just like, hey, can I just tell you what God has done in my life this week? It doesn't have to be weird or awkward. Don't go all Ned Flanders on people this week. You, you don't have to give a track. You could use that. You don't have to show them a video. You could do that. You don't have to draw something on a napkin. Just say, can I, can I tell you why I need Jesus so much in my life? So often we're looking for a reason to tell them why they need Jesus, and we forget to tell the world why we desperately need him. What if you just started by reminding people around you or telling them for the first time, this is why I depend on Jesus, not only for salvation, but for my very life. Because the gospel doesn't just save us, it sustains us every day of our life. So many of you are already in conversations with people. What if you just took the opportunity to shift an everyday conversation and made it a gospel conversation. There will be well over a thousand people in this room today. What if this week there were a thousand stories spilling out into our neighborhoods and our places of work about gospel goodness and the glory of God just sort of oozing out of our lives and flooding this area of the world with the gospel stories of God taking over our schools. And you don't have to share all thousand. Share one. One story. And say, God, would you, would you make it a mission? Would you make it a joy? I don't have the gift of an evangelist. Okay, so what? We have the responsibility of obedience. And see, I'm convinced that this next statement is true. Jesus deserves the praises of all people. Amen? Amen? For God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son so that everyone who believes would be saved. And our King, King Jesus, is worthy of the praise of everyone. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every story, every background, he deserves it. He deserves everyone in Middle Tennessee to sing the praises of his name. And so we must live lives that exhibit his glorious grace. We've been given grace for a goal. And the way the gospel gets to other people, I've told you this, <laughs> isn't dreams or visions, although God sometimes provokes people to a response or to want to lean in, and God has used visions and dreams to direct people, but God always uses a human instrument. I've told you this before. Imagine on a new moon night and it's pitch black outside and you walk outside and God just assembled the stars together and he says, I love you. And he wrote John 3.16 and he said, repent and believe in me. God could do that if you believe he's able, say amen. amen. He could, but he hasn't and he won't. Why? God always uses human instruments to tell the gospel to other humans. It is our mission. And Romans 10 says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? 
How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. There's a promise of God here that I've mentioned to you before. That if we are sent and if we preach they will hear. And if they hear, they will believe. Maybe not all, but some will believe. And if they believe, they will call. And if they call, they will be what? It's a promise. If we preach, they hear. If they hear, they believe. If they believe, they call. If they call, they're saved. God's going to save people that call. People that believe will call. People that hear will believe. When we preach, people hear. The only place that this verse has the opportunity to break down is right here. If we're not sent and if we don't preach. So this this church is the week. This is the week where you take one more step into your discipleship. One more step into your faith journey. And yes, we embrace and believe and revel in the grace of God. But this is the week where you tell someone else the good news. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We believe in you. We bless you and thank you that you love the world in this way that you gave your only son. And so, God, I pray and I ask for faithful obedience, for church to say, yes, I've been saved from, but I've been saved for a mission. So thank you for the good news of the gospel. We, we declare it. God, send us. In Jesus' name, amen.